then waited, forcing from his mind any preconception of the man whose footsteps he half imagined he could hear coming toward him. A moment later, the door was opened by someone tallish with a well-groomed mass of thick, dark hair. The man's eyes were dark with an inquiring, steady gaze. He wore a comfortable tailored jacket in a good tweed, gray trousers, a knitted tie, His shoes were polished wingtips in a rich burgundy and looked handmade. Sam would have put him in his late thirties. Mr. Kozobin, I'm Sam Town. They didn't shake hands. Kozobin looked as though he might under normal circumstances have had a pleasant smile, but at the moment he was as wary of Sam Town as Sam was of him. When he stepped back from the door in a wordless invitation to his visitor to enter, there was an assurance in his movement that was more than just physical. It spoke of breeding, a sense of who he was, and probably, Sam thought, of old money. As I told you on the phone, my wife isn't here yet, he said, leading the way into the drawing room. It worried Sam that she wasn't there. He wanted to ask where in God's name she could have been since the events of that morning, events of which, he felt reasonably certain, this man in front of him knew nothing. But he held his tongue. He must tread warily, proceed with caution. As much as he needed to know that Joanna was safe, he had to avoid antagonizing Kazobin. He needed to talk to him, find out who he was, and many other things about him. He had to ask more questions than any stranger had a right to ask. Sam knew he must have sounded odd on the phone, yet he could see that the other man was at least initially reassured by his appearance. There was nothing very threatening about Sam Town. Of medium height and build, about the same age as Kazobin, he looked what he was, an underpaid academic with little in the way of worldly ambition or material achievement. He glimpsed his reflection in the big Venetian mirror over the carved stone fireplace and realized how shabby he looked in these surroundings, with his raincoat hanging open over a well-worn corduroy jacket, denim shirt, and jeans. "'I'm sorry,' Kazobin said, as though correcting an omission of protocol on his part. Can I take your coat? Sam slipped it off and handed it over. I don't intend to take any more of your time than I have to, he said, as though by way of reassurance. Kazobin nodded and went out into the hall, where he hung the coat on an antique iron stand. Can I offer you a drink, he said as he returned, good manners not entirely concealing the suspicion he still felt. No, thank you very much. Then why don't you sit down and tell me what this is about? Kozobin indicated an Italian sofa in oatmeal fabric, then sat in an armchair across from it and waited. Town leaned forward, caught himself twisting his hands, and laced his fingers to keep them still. This is all going to sound very strange, I gather from what you said on the phone that your wife has never spoken of me or the work I've been doing. To the best of my knowledge, she hasn't, Mr. Town. Sorry, uh, Dr. Town, I believe you said. 
I'm a research psychologist at Manhattan University, Sam began. I run a project investigating various kinds of anomalous phenomena. He felt his fingers start to twist again, pulled them apart, and made an open gesture as he ran through the usual brief litany with which he began any explanation of his work. Basically, we've been looking into the interaction of human consciousness with measurable physical devices and systems. It covers fields such as telepathy, precognition, psychokinesis, remote viewing. Kazobin's eyes narrowed slightly. You mean you're some kind of psychic investigator? He asked. Broadly speaking, yes, though I dislike the word psychic. It's vague and implies a prejudgment of the phenomena we're observing. We're psychologists, engineers, statisticians, and physicists.